Chapter 4 of The Martian by Alan Glasser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. The Circus. He was breathing hard now, and his face was flushed. For a long time he sat very still and listened, but he heard no sound. At last, moving very slowly, he carried a cylinder to the door. He raised it and placed the point against the metal lock under the knob. He pressed his lips tightly together and set his jaw. With the end of the wire, which he had not connected, he touched a point on the cylinder. There was no sound. There was no movement of the cylinder. Yet the metal lock dissolved, and daylight shot through the place where it had been. A cloud of light gray dust drifted lazily to the floor. He disconnected the wires. Carefully, he hid the thing under the cushions of his bed. Then he pushed open the door and crawled out into the sunlight. The sun felt warm and pleasant on his back. He heard a cry and looked up fearfully. One of the men of Toon was running towards him, carrying a dish. It was the man that brought his food. His throat was tight and he was trembling. He knew that this was the supreme moment. He nodded his head and smiled. He raised one hand, palm upward. The man stopped directly in front of him and growled, then raised an arm, pointing at the door of his prison. He made a little murmuring sound to the man and raised his face to the sun, smiled and nodded once more. The man pushed him backwards with one foot, always pointing at the door. He turned and crawled back into the shed. Dully, he watched the man, who stood for a long time staring at the door where the lock had been, then strode to the pile of metal and picked up a chain. He did not move when he felt the chain around his body. He closed his eyes and did not open them until he heard the door shut. He did not move all that day. He only watched the little window. When finally the little window grew black, he drew his machine from under the cushions and connected it again at the wall. The chain was fastened to a leg of the bench and allowed him to do this. He destroyed a portion of the chain and loosened it from his body. He crawled to the wall farthest from the house where the people lived, moving the machine in a slow arc. He cut a hole in the wall. Disconnecting the wires, he used them to fasten the machine around his waist. Then he went out into the night. He did not know where he was going, except that he was going away from these beings that held him prisoner without a reason. At first they had seemed kind, but they were kind no longer. Something had changed them, he thought, but he could not guess what. He had progressed less than a hundred yards when a sudden tumult of sound froze him with terror. It was coming at him through the dark, a hoarse, senseless animal cry, and bounding toward him he saw the dark shadow of a beast. He knew instinctively that here was an unreasoning creature, and all the strength went out of him. He lay flat and limp on his face. Now he heard its panting breath and felt the heat of it on his body. 
At the same time, but only semi-consciously, he heard the loud shouts of men. As in a dream, he felt himself grasped roughly and lifted from the ground. Soon he knew that he was back in the shed again. He saw a man standing above him, holding his machine. He felt strangely detached, as if he were not there at all. He saw the man look at the machine, look at the door, look at the chain, look at the hole in the wall, look at the light cord. He saw the man connecting his machine to the light cord. He felt powerless to warn the man that he might be connecting it wrong, that there were two ways, one right, one wrong. An explosion threw the man heavily against the wall. He could see the man struggling slowly up, coming towards him, kicking him, but he could hardly feel the kick at all, and everything got dark. When light came back, it was just a small square above him. That puzzled him, until he reached out and found wooden walls all around him, very close. He was in a box. He became suddenly fully conscious of the fact. Looking down at him from above, he saw the faces of two of the men of Toon. He cried out involuntarily, struggling to escape. One of the creatures shook a heavy piece of metal threateningly over his head. He cowered down, shuddering at sight of the merciless gleam in its eyes. The light was blotted out as they placed a cover over him, and he was deafened by a long and thunderous pounding. Then began a time of horror in the darkness. His active mind had nothing to feed upon but fear. Only too clearly was it brought to him that he did not know the ways of these creatures of tune. What was deadly fear to him might be commonplace to them. He had hoped to find them friendly, merciful, yet friendship and mercy were qualities of his own experience in a world different from theirs. Why had he thought to find them here? He had no measure of time. For endless hours he lay there in the dark, bracing himself against the sides to protect his head and body as much as possible. For the box seemed almost constantly in motion, jolting, tilting, and bumping until he was weak and breathless from the strain. His mind, worn out by its relentless self-torture, sank at last to semi-consciousness. Suddenly light returned, and he was dragged roughly from his prison. He was in a large room where the combination of odor, heat, and noise was overpowering. Great numbers of men of tune were there, hurrying in all directions, seemingly very busy. He noted immediately that their clothing was different from that which he had seen, and wondered what the significance of that might be. He felt strangely calm now. Before him was an immense, bulky man who stood with legs apart and arms folded, staring at him with wide, unwinking eyes. This man had a face that was light red in color and rounded, almost swollen-looking in shape. He nodded, and his cheeks shook loosely. He nodded several times and seemed very pleased. He spoke sharply and others, standing around, sprang into action. 
they brought a red cloth and tied it around the captive's loins. They forced him to crawl back and forth on the floor while the big man looked on, nodding and chuckling. Then the big man ran hot, cushion-like hands over his head and body, pried open his mouth, grasped his hand, and shook it vigorously up and down, and with a final nod turned and walked away. He understood none of this and was very unhappy. They placed him upon a high draped platform, where there was a small chair and nothing else. There were a number of similar platforms in the room. It was impossible for him to maintain his previous indifference to his surroundings. Around the walls of the room were long rows of barred enclosures containing creatures of every conceivable size, shape, and color. Some were hideous, some were strangely beautiful, all were absorbingly interesting. For a time, he forgot everything else while he watched them and listened to the sounds that they made. Certainly, he thought, a scientist of the Latin would give twenty years of his life for the opportunity to see these creatures. Some of them were amazingly like reconstructions that had been made from fossilized bones found on the Latin. They brought him food, which he judged must be the cooked seeds of grain. It was soft, and he forced himself to eat a little, although he was not hungry. He feared that he would have to learn to eat daily, for food concentrates seemed to be unknown here. His mind was occupied trying to understand the meaning of this place. Great numbers of people were crowding into the room now. Rows of them stood around his platform. The other platforms were now occupied also. On them were beings resembling the people around them, but each one differing in some strange way from the normal. Some were enormously large, some small, and he saw one which was shaped like the men of Tune, yet was no taller than himself. An endless stream of people surged through the room, circulating around the platforms and cages, gazing fixedly at their occupants. He began to understand. These were exhibits, creatures strange to the crowds who came to look at them. Tune was very large, and transportation methods were poorly developed. Perhaps, therefore, these people had never seen many of the parts of their own globe. Their staring eyes made him uncomfortable. Wherever he looked, they were staring eyes and gaping mouths. He felt suddenly ashamed. He wanted to hide himself. But they would not let him do that, he knew. How long would they keep him here, he wondered. There seemed to be no limit to the crowds. This must be a great center of population. And in a flash, he had forgotten the people. With their staring eyes, forgotten his shame, forgotten his bodily discomfort. A center of population. Those words blazed in his mind. Once more, he knew the joy of hope. With a sudden, clear perception, he realized that they could not have helped him more if they had done it consciously. He had arrived at a goal, 
which a few days ago it seemed impossible of attainment. Here, if anywhere, he would find help. He must learn the language. That was imperative. And again, his good fortune amazed him. These people were constantly talking. His position was ideal for studying their speech. From what he already knew, it was quite simple, and it should not take long to learn enough to serve his purpose. It took longer than he had expected, mainly because the people were not there all of the time. They came only at certain periods of the day, and he soon made a surprising discovery, that they slept during a great part of every night. In fact, almost one-third of their time seemed to be spent in an unconscious state. The creatures in the cages slept even more. He could see no signs of intelligence in these caged creatures. They were dumb and were completely dominated by the men. He missed the sun badly. These people, in their dark houses and their draped bodies, did not seem to need it. Often he felt quite ill, but tried not to worry about his health. At night, when alone, he practiced the sounds he had learned and rehearsed the things he was going to say when his chance came. He passed through a sleep period and then, on the ninth day, decided that he was ready. To the attendant who brought his food, he said, I talk. The man started violently and gaped at him. Talk, he repeated blankly. Yes. The attendant looked at him uncertainly for a long time and then walked slowly away. He was disappointed, but he was not kept waiting long. Soon the man returned, accompanied by another. Bloomberg wants to see you, they said. He did not understand that and shook his head. However, they lifted him from his platform and carried him out of the room. They took him up a long series of steps and through dark corridors and into a small room. Here it was cool and light. In the center was a desk, and behind it sat the large man he had seen once before. Set him on the desk here, ordered the large man. Now, little feller, they tell me you're talking. I talk. Well, 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 said the large man jovially. What'll we talk about? I'm Bloomberg, and I run this circus. Who are you? He understood only the last words, but they were what he was waiting for. I am man of Lawton, he said carefully. Lawton is world more far from Heat Star. What? Say that again. I not live in your world, in this world. The hell you don't. Again, he did not understand what the large man meant and looked around helplessly. Then he saw a writing instrument on the desk and picked it up. Bloomberg pushed forward a piece of white paper. Quickly he drew, in its center, a large circle with lines extending from its circumference to indicate radiation. Outside it, he drew four small circles at varying distance from the central one. Hey, Edgar, come here, called Bloomberg. A pale young man, who had been sitting in a corner, approached the desk, saying, Yes? He looked pleadingly at the pale young man. He placed his fingertip on the large circle and said, Heat star. 
Son, said the young man quickly. Son, he repeated gratefully. Next, he indicated the third little circle from the center. This world, he said. Earth, said the young man. Earth, this world is Earth. Yes. Bloomberg grumbled. What is this, a joke? He could not understand Bloomberg. Eagerly, he looked into the face of the pale young man and indicated the fourth little circle. Mars, said Edgar. Mars, he cried jubilantly. He pointed his finger at himself. I am man of Mars, he said. There was silence in the room while they both stared at him. Then the big man began to laugh. His body shook and his red cheeks jumped up and down. So you are a Martian, eh? Yes, a Martian. Bloomberg was still laughing. That ought to go big in the show, huh, Edgar? he said. Yes, sir, said the young man. If you live on Mars, what are you doing here? The Martian had been expecting this question. They send me away to Earth. Why did they send you away to Earth? End of chapter 4. Recording by Paul Harvey.